I want to preach to you a message tonight simply entitled, God's Great Grace. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for the privilege it is to look into your word tonight. Father, thank you that when we look at the Bible, Lord, we can trust uh, its authenticity. We can trust that what it says is true. And Lord, tonight I pray, Lord, very often it's easy to talk about God's grace. But Lord, I pray that tonight we'd be challenged by the grace of God that's been given unto us. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for dying for us. Lord, I pray that we would exalt Jesus tonight. Lord, I pray that you would help me. I need your help. I cannot do this. I need your guidance and your strength as we look into your word tonight. We'll be careful to thank you for what you'll accomplish in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. In the book of Titus, uh, we're going to kind of just give a brief overview of the book of Titus because we're kind of jumping in really to almost the end of the book here. Uh, But the book of Titus was written by the Apostle Paul uh, to a young preacher by the name of Titus. Uh, Between Timothy and Titus, they were two young men that the Apostle Paul had the privilege of mentoring and discipling, uh, and they eventually uh, became pastors at their churches, their respective churches. But Titus was left uh, in the uh, Isle of Crete uh, to ordain church leaders. Leaders, uh, to establish growing bodies of believers. And throughout the letter, the Apostle Paul stresses that the life of a believer will be marked by their good works. Let me just read a couple of verses for you. Titus 1 1 uh, says this Paul, a servant of God and of the Apostle, uh, and an Apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledging of the truth which is after godliness, a tie to our behavior. Titus 1.16, speaking of, of those who would profess God, but in their works, they deny him. And so there is a connection between our beliefs and our behavior. Our behavior will reflect what we truly believe. And in, in this instance, there were people that professed they knew God, but their life didn't match that profession. Titus 2.1, but speak thou the things which become or are proper for sound doctrine. Titus 2, 7 through 8, in all things showing thyself a pattern of good works and doctrine showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, sound speech that cannot be condemned, and he that is of a contrary part may be ashamed having no evil thing to say unto you. And then Titus 2.10, not purloining, but showing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. The Christian life is lived when our profession of Christ is authenticated by a genuine practice of a living and obedience to Christ. Or to put it simply, our beliefs will impact our behavior. Our our beliefs will impact our behaviors. And that brings us to verse 11 in our passage tonight. And I want us, as we look at God's great grace tonight, I want us to look at three truths that should motivate us to, uh, to faithfully practice our faith where God places us. Because God has a place for you in this life to pattern your life in good works to bring glory to God. So let's look at it. First of all, grace, number one, is a great gift. Grace is a great gift. Or as we could say it, God's grace saves us from the penalty of our sin. Listen, it's great because of its source. It's the grace of God, is it not? Grace does not originate with us. We can't manufacture grace. We can't earn grace. Grace is unmerited favor given to us by a holy God. 
And so the Bible describes grace like this. I don't have these, these, these verses up on the screen, but I just want to touch on a couple references that, that describe God's grace. In Ephesians 1, 6, it's described as glorious. In a, a Romans 5, 20, it's uh, described as abounding. Ephesians 1, 7, it speaks of its richness. Uh, in 1 Peter 4.10, it speaks of its manifoldness. It's multi-sided, multifaceted. And then in 2 Corinthians 12.9, it's described as sufficient. You know, God is the author and the architect of grace. Without God, we have no grace. Aren't you thankful for God's grace? <laughs> I am. And sometimes I, I, I'm not thankful enough, to be honest with you, of God's grace. But we see the source. It's great because of its source, but it's also great because of its sufficiency. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation. It's sufficient for our salvation. Listen, listen, grace alone brings salvation, not by our works, not by works of righteousness, which we have done. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 is not up on there. But for by grace are you saved through faith. And then out of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You know, grace is the greatest of all gifts that we could ever receive. And it's the Lord Jesus Christ who embodies grace. One author said it like this, grace is summed up in the name, person, and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Consider John 1, 14 and 16. Uh, the Bible says here, uh, uh, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of, what's that word? Grace and truth, verse 16. And of his fullness have, we, uh, have all we received, and grace for grace. You see, it's sufficient. You know, listen, hey, guess what? Parents, Christmas is only 140 days away. And after this last week of sweltering heat, bring it on. <laughs> Can they use some cooler weather? But I can't believe it. Christmas is right around the corner. You know, gifts, when our kids uh, get up by the Christmas tree... You know, they, they get their presents all out. And I don't expect payment for that gift. Why? It would cease to be a gift. When they get their gifts, they know there's no expectation. It, it is a gift, and they're going to open it. Now, let me tell you a story. Do you want to hear an embarrassing uh, Pastor Josh story? I have a lot of them. Okay, so this is one of those embarrassing stories that I love to tell. Okay, so uh, when my mom was still alive, we were big on family traditions and going out with her side of the family out for Christmas dinner. And so we go out to a nice restaurant, and then we'd always go back uh, to my aunt and uncle's house uh, for, for uh, opening presents and things like that. And I'll tell you, I was, I was not the best child. I know you, you can't believe that. I know many times I tell stories, and you're like, that, there's no way that was you. Oh, yeah, I was that kid. Uh, and so uh, we, we got there, and, you know, I, I was very, like, expect, I was that expecting child that I was going to get the coolest and the awesomest gift. And I, I, was, I struggled with a little bit of entitlement at times. Um, and so you can't believe that, right? You just can't believe that. And so um, my brother got to open his present first. And he got this really, I forget what the present was. He got this really cool present. Well, my aunt and uncle decided to test whether or not I would be thankful for something. And so do you remember the tubes? After you wrap your presents, you get those tubes, right, that, that, at, the end, at the end of the wrapping paper? Well, they got one of those tubes. They, 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 they glued some sticks to it. They drew a big smiley face on it. And they, and they said, hey, hey, Josh, your present's right behind the tree. So I went over and grabbed it. And like, it's right there. And I pick it up. And they said, Merry Christmas. Here's Dickie the stick for you. And... 
you would have thought that it was the end of the world. They, they, always, they always like to remind me how I just started crying and, and screaming. And I was so upset that, that they got me Dickie the stick to test me. How dare they test me to expose me, really? But you know what? The truth be told, I earned that gift. You know, I'm thankful that the only thing, the, the, truth be told, the only, thing that we, the only thing that we earned in this life is death because of our sin. Hence why grace is so great. It's such a gift. It's unearned. I can't, I, I can't earn it. There's nothing that I can do to merit God's favor. That's why it's grace. Sin left us ruined, broken, without hope. Uh, we, we were not seeking God, but, but it's through the grace of God that he sought us. Uh, Romans chapter 3, verses 23 through 24. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 1, 7 says this. Uh, it says, uh, uh, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin. Catch this, last part of this verse, according to the riches of his grace. It's grace that forgives. I don't deserve it, neither do you. But it's by his grace we have forgiveness. That's why grace is such a great gift. It's great. It's a great gift because of its source, because of its efficiency. But I love this. It's great because of its scope. Look at the end of verse 11. Uh, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. To all men. In other words, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. God's grace is available without exception and without distinction. You know, the scope of God's grace provides a universal opportunity for those without Christ to be saved. Hey, listen, that's why we do fair ministry. I mean, coming up, right? I know, I know because it's the first week of school and it's fair ministry. And you got a training coming up, correct? Is that coming up soon? Absolutely. And so if you have the opportunity, the Lord leads, hey, be involved in the fair ministry. Why? Because the grace of God hath appeared to all men. And all men need to receive. And all men need to be, need to be told the great news. Tell me the old, old story. Man, you, we need to tell others the old, old story of what Jesus has done for us and about his grace. You know, we have a whosoever gospel. You realize when you go through the drive-thru, it's a, it's a whosoever, you know, server. Give them a gospel track. Tell them you love them. Invite them to church. It's a whosoever. We follow the Savior's example by seeking out those who are lost and giving them the life-changing message of the gospel. Luke 19.10, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. 1 Timothy 4.10 for therefore we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of those that believe. I love that verse. We, we, we labor and suffer report, reproach. Why do we serve? Why do we labor? Because God saves. Because of his grace. You know, my youngest girls, sometimes they think that when one receives the gift, that, they, that means the other has received it as well. Do you have those moments? Like you, you get them a nice, you know, dollhouse or something like that, and the other ones, oh, it's mine too, right? No, 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 it's their gift. You got to ask permission to to play with it as well. You know, we have to remind often them that you know what, it's hers. But at the same time, she should you should ask if you can play with it. And you know what, for the one that got it, you should share, right? You know, I'm glad 
that the gift of grace is not just a gift for you, but it was a gift for me. It's wide in its scope, but it's individual in its application. When we look back at all that God has done through us for, through, done for us through salvation, we see that His love, His grace, should motivate us to lovingly and faithfully live in obedience to Him. Why should we live a life faithful to Him? Because of His grace. It's a great gift. Number two, God's grace is not only a great gift. God's grace gives great guidance. A great guidance. So if the grace is a great gift and it saves us from the penalty of sin, God's gift of great, God's grace of great guidance, grace saves us from the power of sin. Listen, grace is not an excuse or freedom to do as we please, but rather the enablement to do what we should. Listen, the grace of God is just like a teacher. It teaches us, look at verse 12, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. And so, as the grace of God is this teacher, it instructs us, it guides us, it educates us, it nurtures us. Just as a teacher teaches proper methods of learning, so too the grace of God teaches us. Listen, I'm so thankful. That when God gave me his grace at salvation, he just didn't let me go on and do whatever I wanted to do. He guides us. He guides us. Listen, imagine a couple. Uh, they, 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 they work on, on getting their, uh, I remember this with several of our kids. You know, I would say, as they were getting ready to, to, to walk, you know, Rebecca would sit over there and I would sit over here. And we would have them try to walk, you know, and get their first steps back and forth to us. Now, could you imagine a couple after their baby walks for the first time, that they looked at, as, as they're, they're so excited, they're gleaming with joy, the, the baby has such a sense of accomplishment, and, and then the parents get up and say, you know what, now you get to figure the rest of life out on your own. And we got you to walk, that's all we need to do, good luck, you can do it. What parent, well, no parent would do that. Parents continue to train. Parents continue to teach. And God is not, not like that either. He's a loving Heavenly Father that not only saves us from the penalty of sin, but now He's given us His grace to teach us how to live in this current life that we live and to, how to properly battle sin. Notice the guidance that He gives in this verse. He says, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts. Listen, we're guided on what we must deny. The idea of denying here carries the idea of to reject, to renounce, or to disown. Listen, if you give my youngest daughter, Hannah, vegetables, she will deny them. Except for cucumbers. I don't know why cucumbers somehow made the exception list. But any other kind of green vegetable, her words are, she looks at it, eh, doesn't like it. Doesn't like vegetables, except for cucumbers. And so, we need to store up on some cucumbers. But, listen, she don't like them. Doesn't she? she rejects them. She denies them. She's not a vegetable fan. Wants nothing to do with them. Listen, mac and cheese and ramen are at the top of her food pyramid. If you can give her mac and cheese and ramen, she is set for life. Denies the vegetables. I don't know where she got that from, because my wife and I both love vegetables growing up. So, she, well, she's... She's ours, but eh, we'll work on it with her. But listen, she denies them. You know, her attitude toward vegetables, though comical at times, 
is the type of attitude you and I should have towards sin. Ugh. Want nothing to do with that. Want nothing to do with that. Well, what, what does he tell, teach us to do? What does grace teach us to deny here? It teaches us to deny ungodliness. A lack of reverential response or respect toward God. It speaks of an individual who does not entertain God in his thoughts and who lives in constant opposition to him. It's the very characteristic of an unsaved person. Grace teaches us to reject this tendency. We need to deny ungodliness. We also need to deny worldly lusts. The desire for something that is forbidden by God. You know, our, our flesh constantly seeks to disrupt the work of grace in our lives. We battle sinful desires each and every day. We battle the lust of je- jealousy toward others, bitterness, ingratitude, the lust for independence from God. And as soon as we're told not to do something, lust compels us to do it. It's like the cookies on the table. Don't touch them. And as soon as you say don't, you want to do it. It's like going down the road and you see the speed limit, 55. Oh, I can go faster than that, right? That's what's lust. It's lust wanting to do something we're forbidden to do. But the Bible says we're to deny those things. We're to deny our flesh. Galatians 5.24 says this, And they that are in Christ, or that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. Listen, sin has the power of sin was defeated on the cross and the resurre- and through the resurrection of Christ. Amen. Friend, you don't have to live defeated. You don't. Live from a position of victory. Because of God's grace, he guides us. He teaches us what we must deny. But you know what? I'm thankful that we're not always told what to not to do. It's not, there's one, there's one thing, there's a, a very important principle in sanctification, and that's the law of replacement. You know, if we're always told what not to do, what not to do, what not to do, we're going to be like, well, what can I do? Well, that's where sanctification comes in. We're told what not to do, but I'm thankful God just doesn't leave us there and begin to, so we're just pondering like, well, hmm, I can't, 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 I shouldn't, I can't, I can't, I can't. What, what, what can I do? God gives us what we can do. And I'm thankful for that. This doesn't leave us on a cliff, a cliffhanger of what to do. Here's where it is. Not only what we, what we must deny, God's grace did, guides us in not only what we must deny, but what we must develop. Look at the, the last part of this verse. We should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Listen, as we deny those things that are in opposition to growth and opposition to grace, we must now develop certain behaviors and characteristics in our lives. Remember, beliefs impact behavior, and it's the work of grace through the Holy Spirit that desires to mold and shape these desires within us. Consider Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 13. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God. God, which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So God does not say, all right, you can't do these. Here's what you do. Now, good luck on your own getting those things done. No, he comes alongside us through the ministry of the Holy Spirit to help us develop these things in our lives. And I'm thankful for that. It is the work of grace. So let's look at them soberly. The idea of sobriety. It's, a, it's our inward relationship to ourselves. The idea of soberly. Here is the idea of having a sound, self-controlled mind. 
Listen, the drunkard has no self-control because alcohol has impaired his judgment. He's distracted and he's desensitized to any rational thinking. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 18, Be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. And as we yield to the influence of the Holy Spirit, He enables us to live soberly, distraction-free lives that do not yield to the temptations of the flesh. So we're to live soberly. Secondly, we're to develop righteously. And it speaks here of a focus of our outward relationships with one another. God's grace guides us to, to, to live truthfully and justly toward one another. Grace enables us not only to be righteous in our character, but to be righteous in our conduct. Consider Micah chapter 6 verse 8. He hath shown thee, O man, what is good. And what doth the Lord require of thee but to do justly? The idea of rightly, to live rightly, to do right. I, 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 just this morning, Mr. Wyrick and I were out, out talking uh, in, the, in the lobby. and you know, He was talking about in, 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 in sports, you know, why we do what we do. Because it's the right thing to do, right? Living in righteousness, modeling righteousness to other people. We need to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. Sadly, we live in a world where people don't treat each other righteously. We live in a world where people take advantage of each other. They have, they have no problem stepping on other people to get to the top. Conflict rules the day. Why is it that when you watch the nightly news, I don't know if any of you watch the, the nightly news anymore, but it's all like, it's like, if it's like a half hour program, it's like 28 and a half minutes of everything that's going bad in the world. And then like a minute and a half of, hell, we want to leave you on a note that there is actually some good in the world. Well, let's be honest, conflict sells. It does. But it's a shame. See, the church ought to be the beacon of how people ought to properly treat one another. Why? Church matters. Pastor finished that, 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 that series on the one another's of the Bible. Right. Why? Why is it so important? Because the grace of God wants to guide us in how to live. So that we can overcome the power of sin. We look uh, to Jesus and how he treated other people. He loved the unlovely. He loved his enemies. He did not seek vengeance. He lived righteously as our example. 1 Peter 2, 20-23 says this, For what glory is it if, when ye be buffeted for your faults, ye take it patiently? In other words, what are you saying there? If you've done wrong, there's no surprise that you get punished. But, contrary, look at this, But if, when ye do well... And suffer for it, you take it patiently. This is acceptable to God. For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow his steps. For, uh, verse 22, for who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judges righteously. Why should we do right? Because Jesus is our example. Why should we treat others with kindness and compassion? Because Jesus did. And we want to model him because he gives us guidance. Grace guides us soberly, righteously. And I love this one. Last one, godliness. So if soberly is a, our inward relationship of a sound mind, a serious mind, and, and righteously uh, cares you how we, how we conduct ourselves with other people, godliness would, would stress our upward relationship with God. You know, a godly life is one characterized by close communion to God 
which translates into us reflecting Christ in the age in which we live in. Because at the end of verse 12, it says we should do these things in this present world. So we ought to reflect him. 2 Corinthians 1.12 says this, For our rejoicing is this, the testimony of our conscience, that in simplicity and in godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God, we have our conversation in the world and more abundantly to your word. So by the grace of God, we have our conversation, the idea of conduct in this world and more abundantly to us word. Now, Fun little illustration here. So I asked Brother Barlow, can you put up that first photo of me? Get it up there. Oh, there it is. Okay, I was looking for it back there and it was Okay, so this is me when I was in third grade. Handsome little young man there, wasn't he? Believe it or not, I had hair. So we can dispel the myth that I was always bald. I used to have a good head of hair. Now, you see this picture of me, just, just get, this, get that mental image in your, in, in your mind. Now, let's look at the next photo. Here is Matthew at the same age in third grade. He's just graduated. He's just finished third grade. We love to do the first day of school, last day of school photos. It's just great to see how the kids have changed over the, the 10 months that they're in school. And so you see, oh, where'd it go? There he is. Okay, so we got Matthew here. Now, you saw my picture, and now you see Matthew. Now, let's look at that third photo. Now look at us together. The, the, the resemblance is uncanny, is it not? Why? He's my son. He's my son. There's no mistake that he's mine. Now, you saw the nice head of hair that I had. And you see the nice head of hair that he has. Pray for him. His future does. It looks very bright. <laughs> I mean, let's be honest. But if, if, any, if it's any testimony, if it's any hope, I've been told, now I don't know if this is medically, you know, true or whatnot, that generally the, the children get the head of hair from the mom's side. And my father-in-law, mother-in-law are here. My father-in-law still has a head of hair. So Matthew, there is hope for you. You might break the mid-aw curse. All right? We'll see. We'll find out. Well, we'll get back to you in 20, 20 years maybe. We'll see. But you look at this. There's a reflection, is there not? A resemblance. Listen, we're to live godly in this present world. That means we need to reflect Jesus. So as people see us, they should see Jesus. Because we represent him. We are Christians, are we not? The idea of followers, little Christ. Why is grace so important? Why, why is grace such a great thing? It gives us great guidance. Great guidance on how to live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. We ought to reflect Christ. So tonight, God's grace is great because it gives us a great gift. Number two, because it gives us great guidance. But then number three, and I love this, God's grace grants a great gathering. A great gathering. Oh, I'm still up there. Look at that. I miss those days. Good days. Number three, uh, we see a great gathering. Look at verse 13. Looking for that blessed hope in the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. 
So if God's grace in the great gift saves us from the penalty of sin, and his, great, his grace gives us great guidance and saves us from the power of sin, then it would make sense that one day God's grace will save us from the presence of sin. We see, first of all, hopeful disclosure. It says, looking for that blessed hope. Christians ought, can be anchored to the blessed hope that Christ is coming again. We believe in the imminent return of Jesus Christ. In other words, nothing biblically, theologically has to happen before Christ comes back. Amen. He can come at any moment. Amen. We believe in the imminent return of Christ. So the word looking here speaks of a high anticipation. You know, back in the day, my kids would be looking out the door waiting for me to come home at night. Now, I come in and they don't even acknowledge me half the time. It's sad they're growing up, I get that. But I miss those days. I miss those days when I pull in the driveway and this little head would pop up over the door and there, uh, the, the, the door window and, and they would be excited to see dad come home. Hey, listen, you and I should have an anticipation that Christ is coming again. Looking for that blessed hope. 1 Peter 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy uh, hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You know, when the believer uses the word hope, it's not a, well, I hope so. Like, I hope the Tigers get to the World Series this year. It's not going to happen, right, Jeremy? No, it's not going to happen. I mean, we can always hope. Uh, I know Jeremy, diehard Tigers fan through the thick and the thin. He is a devoted fan to those Tigers. But it's probably not going to be this year or the next several years. I mean, we can hope, right? But that's not what the Bible's talking about when we talk about hope. Hope in the Bible is a confident expectation. It's going to happen Bank on it. Believe me, God ties his reputation to the fact that he is coming again. He's coming again. So we ought to be looking. We ought to be expecting. We have this blessed hope before us. Uh, the story was told of a young preacher before he was saved, and he worked in a factory. And he had a co-worker named George, who always sung songs about Jesus' second coming. And at the end of the workday, he would never take off his work suit when he left. And that puzzled the young, the, 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 this, this young man. And, and finally, one day, he asked George why he never took off his work clothes. And he asked him this question, aren't you ready to leave? And George, at that point, unzipped his work suit, only to reveal an immaculate suit underneath. And he replied, I'm always ready to leave. I'm always ready to leave. Listen, we have that blessed hope. Are we ready for his return? But we see this, not only a hopeful disclosure, we see a heavenly destination. This gathering, where are we going to be gathered to? We're going to be gathered with Jesus in the air to be with him for all eternity. Listen, the hope of his return brings with it the expectation of a heavenly destination. A place where we'll be free from sin, free from disease, free from trial, free from tribulation, free from pain, free from suffering. Why is it? That at a funeral of a believer, yes, there's sorrow, but there's always that hope because they're with Jesus. Oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? Why can we confidently stand and, 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 and repeat that? It's the grace of God because Jesus conquered death. 
It's a work of his grace. Because we have a heavenly destination. Heaven will be a place of reunion. It'll be a place of royal worship. Where we'll gather around the throne of the King of kings and Lord of lords to worship him for all eternity. Jesus even said as much. John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3, familiar passage. Let not your heart be troubled. Friend, is your heart troubled tonight? It can be. Hey, listen, we're going through things. I understand that. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm I'm glad Jesus just tells it how it is, right? I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there ye may be also. Listen, that's hope, friend. That's a hope that this world does not have. Listen, I'm, my, my, my grandma passed away uh, a day before my birthday, and here in a couple of weeks, we're going to go up to a funeral. And to, I'll just be honest with you, I don't know if my grandma was saved or not. And so people are going to try to manufacture hope. Oh, we might, we'll see her someday. But see, there's a big difference between me going to that funeral and then for those that will be going to Gary's funeral on Tuesday. Because Gary, Darrell's brother, had a testimony of Christ. So there's a lot of hope. Yes, there's sorrow. Darrell, we love you and we're praying for you and your family. There's that grief. There's that sorrow. But there's also that celebration. Because he's with Jesus today. Cancer is no longer riddling that man's body. He is free of it. That's hope. And that's hope that you and I can all share. That those people out there have no concept of so we can celebrate because of the heavenly destination that God's grace gathers us to but then finally and we leave here we see a great gathering and so as we anticipate Jesus's return he's coming again we have that blessed hope we have that heavenly destination but then finally there's that holy demeanor that we need to have in preparation for that day while we can certainly look forward to anticipate his return We should not let the promise of his return lull us into complacency. You know, we don't go stand on a hill, staring at the sky, waiting for Jesus to come back. No. You know, it's interesting. Jeremy preached this verse, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, uh uh-oh. Jeremy, say it to me, please, because I just slipped my mind. Therefore, my... Where does that verse at the end of? A chapter on the resurrection? Because Jesus has resurrected from the dead, and because, I mean, that's right at the end of that great, of, uh, great passage on the rapture. Why is that verse there? Because in anticipation of him coming back, we ought to be busy. We ought to be busy. There ought to be a holy demeanor about us. I love 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us. Oh, it's a great love. That we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Uh, beloved, now are we the sons of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. There's in verse 3. And here's the kicker. And every man that hath this... Hope. 
Do you have that hope tonight? Do you have that blessed hope? Every man that hath this hope in him, what does he do? Purifies himself, even as he is pure. Look at verse 14 of Titus chapter 2. Who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity. Catch this, and what? And purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. Now, the idea of peculiar here does not give you the liberty to look at your neighbor and say, Man, I knew there was something fishy about that person. They're, they're peculiar. No, it does not mean the idea of odd or strange. And though we all probably know some peculiar people, the idea of uh, peculiar there is that we are God's special possession. He's purchased us with his own blood. Brother Dan uh, shared 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 19 and 20 this morning, that we're the temple of living God. Remember, God's grace is a great gift. But because of that, we ought to be zealous, fired up, passionate about living for him. Because, remember the theme of Titus, behavior flows from belief. So tonight, may our behavior match the belief of God's imminent return. May we purify, may, may, we, may we, those that have this hope in them purify themselves because he's coming again. Because he's coming again, he's coming to gather. Uh, so what motivates us to faithful service to Christ? What motivates us to live a life of good works? It's God's grace. It's God's grace because God's grace gives us a great gift. Because God's grace gives us great guidance. And because God's grace promises us a great gathering with him in heaven one day.